Well, we're back in uh, First Kings this evening, and I must say that today has been a little challenging because both of the messages today are very heavy, uh, difficult messages in the sense that they're focused on great evils. And uh, this morning we talked about the judgment coming on the rich. And today we're going to talk about Jeroboam and his wicked sin and how he brings down the northern kingdom. So uh, it was kind of fun a week before that to preach on Thanksgiving themes and be uh, uh, thankful and joyful about those topics. But today we'll be focused on harder topics and ultimately we are thankful for that truth too because we need the bad examples as well to help us avoid doing the same evil. So um, though heavy, uh, there is encouragement in it still. So let's go ahead and look at 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 25 to 33. It says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people re will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king consulted and made two golden calves, and he said to them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And he made houses on high places, and made priests from among all the people who were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like the feast which is in Ju Judah, and he went up to the altar. Thus he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves which he had made. And he stationed in Bethel the priests and the high places which he had made. Then he went up to the altar which he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day in the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised in his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the sons of Israel and went up to the altar to burn incense. Well, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage, uh, we understand this is a serious deviation from worshiping you. And this was a key moment of Israel turning away from you. It is therefore very sobering and disturbing, and yet we ask, as uh, the majority of us here tonight, I believe, know you, uh, that you would encourage us uh, about your protection, how you do protect your children from apostasy, and how even in your providence you also allow it for purposes uh, that are sometimes difficult for us to understand. But we pray that you'd give us understanding, helping us understand how this fits in with the rest of the book and the ultimate message of the book. And I pray that it'd be a help to us as we reflect on these things. 
And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we talked a couple weeks ago about 1 Kings 12 and how the northern tribes rebelled against King Rehoboam. If you look with me up there at uh, chapter 12, uh, earlier in the chapter, we look at verse 16, 17 there. We see how the, those in the northern kingdom responded to uh, Rehoboam basically rejecting uh, his harsh message of uh, not lightening up the load on them or the work uh, or the taxes. Um, and they respond basically in verse uh, 16 17 saying, What portion do we have in David? What, we have no inheritance in the son of Jesse to your tents, O Israel. So there was, as we mentioned uh, last time, both a rejection of Rehoboam and his uh, administration, if you will, uh, but also a rejection ultimately of the Lord. The, the northern kingdoms were rejecting uh, the Lord ultimately because the Lord had said it was through David um, that he was establishing uh, the, the kingdom and ultimately the Messiah would come through David and, uh, and he would honor David and Jerusalem as the place where his name would be forever. So they were essentially turning away from uh, not only Rehoboam but ultimately the Lord. And what we see tonight in verses 25 to 33, is that complete rebellion playing out. Um, I apologize, I think I need to grab the remote. I got a PowerPoint here. Um, so we see the complete rebellion playing out here in 25 to 33. So first of all, what we're gonna see here is Jeroboam sets up a replacement capital. He sets up a replacement capital. That's what he's doing in verse 25. Uh, first, when you read this, you just see that he builds a city in Shechem, and you say, what's the big deal? Well, the point is, he's setting up a capital city. This is where he's operating the northern kingdom from the city of Shechem. So, uh, real quick, just a uh, reminder of what the division looks like. So, we have uh, the, the south uh, here in Judah. Uh, that's the one tribe. And the northern kingdom here is the rest of it. Uh, it's the northern kingdom of Israel. And then we have specifically Shechem mentioned here as the city where he's setting up. So we have Shechem, it's about, you could say, in the middle of the northern kingdom. So it makes sense as a strategic location. Therefore, it's kind of central. Uh, but I think there's also more significance beyond that. If you understand some things about Shechem, it's a significant choice. And I actually, in a way, kind of a shrewd choice on his part. Um, if you were to turn to Genesis chapter 12, we won't do that, but um, if you look at Genesis chapter 12, we see Abraham comes to the promised land, right? God had told Abraham to go to the promised land, and he does that, and the Lord appears to him. Where do you think God appears to Abraham? Shechem. Shechem is that place where God appears to Abraham. We also see in Genesis 33 that Jacob builds an altar there. We also see that Joseph and his brothers were in Shechem. That's where Joseph goes to check on them because they're taking care of sheep. It's in Shechem. Um, but we also see significantly it's the first place where Joshua dedicates to the Lord in the promised land and where they set up the first altar, the, the place of worship there 
is at Shechem. So, Solomon has moved the place of worship to Jerusalem. But Rehoboam is going to Shechem as his capital city. And also we see in 12.1, look at 12.1 with me here. It says, then Rehoboam went to Shechem for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Again, it was a major city and it was a central location. And so there's a lot of significance to the city that Jeroboam chooses here for the city to make it his place of operation. We do see at the end of verse 25, he will later uh, go out from there and build uh, a city in uh, Penuel, or a capital in Penuel as well, which was basically on the east side of the Jordan somewhere. Um, and, and from what I could tell, the basic motivation there was probably to protect against attacks that might come from the king of Egypt. So. Um, it was a uh, shrewd move here to replace uh, the, king, the capital city of Jerusalem here with Shechem. And um, God had given to uh, Jeroboam the right to rule the northern kingdom. So at this point, we don't really uh, consider this part a problematic move. This is probably just a shrewd move on his part to get a central location to operate his kingdom. But from here it goes downhill. And then we see in verse 26 how Jeroboam ultimately rejects God's word. So let's look at 26 and uh, start with 26. Jeroboam's going to reject God's word. It says, uh, in verse 26, Jeroboam said in his heart. Now this is a fascinating piece of scripture. We take this for granted because it's the scripture and it's uh, God's revelation. But God is exposing to us the thoughts of a man's heart. So we have here his motivations, what he's really thinking. So we see about Jeroboam, now the kingdom will return to the house of David. So we have Jeroboam is afraid. He's afraid. But what I want to point out to you, though, is it's a rejection of God's word because of what God had already said to Jeroboam. So let's look at uh, chapter 11, just a page over perhaps in your Bible, maybe two. Uh, chapter 11, verses 35 to 39. This is where the prophet is speaking to Jeroboam at, originally about becoming the king of the northern kingdom. It says in verse 35, but I will take the kingdom from his son's hand and give it to you, even ten tribes. So the prophet's telling Jeroboam, you're going to have ten tribes. And this is from the Lord. This is the Lord's plan. You're going to have ten tribes. Uh, the kids could help us answer this question. Did God fulfill that statement? Did he give Jeroboam ten tribes? Yeah, he already did that, right? He already at this point in the story has the ten tribes. So he's fulfilled that. Look at verse 36. He says, but to his son I'll give one tribe. That's to Rehoboam. Uh, because at this point Solomon is still king. It's the very end of where Solomon's king. And he's saying about Rehoboam, he'll have one tribe, but you'll get ten. He says that my servant David may have a lamp always before me in Jerusalem, the city where I've chosen for myself to put my name. Verse 37, but I will take you and you shall reign over whatever you desire and you shall be king over Israel. Then it will be that if you listen 
to all that I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight by observing my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I'll be with you and build you an enduring house as I built for David. And I will give Israel to you. So what's the promise here? The promise from God is I'm giving you ten tribes and if you will obey me, you can keep those. You will have an enduring house. So what Jeroboam is doing, what he's afraid of, is, is a lack of faith. He's failing to trust what God has said. You see that? God has promised him if he obeys, he'll have an enduring house. And he'll have the ability to reign over whatever he desires. But, go back to 26 of chapter 12. We see, instead of believing God's promise and trusting in God, he's afraid. He's afraid of losing the kingdom. That's what we see in verse 26. He's afraid of losing the kingdom. It says in verse 26, he says in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. That's a complete rejection of what God said. And I think it's significant to understand when people reject the word of God, what's the result? Fear. When you don't have confidence in God, you don't have a basis for true confidence. It leads to fear. Jeroboam is rejecting God's word, therefore he is afraid of losing the kingdom, even though God said he could keep it if he will obey. He's afraid to lose the kingdom, we see in verse 26. But we also see he is afraid of death. He is afraid to die. Well, let's think about it. He just took away ten tribes of a kingdom, right? He's afraid that he's going to be seen as a rebel and killed for that. Look at his reasoning in verse 27, how he works through this. It says, If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem then the heart of this people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So Israel had three feasts where they regularly went up to worship at Jerusalem. They were supposed to go up for the feast of Passover, the feast of weeks, and the uh, feast of tabernacles. So there were supposed to be three times a year where they would make the trek to Jerusalem and go up there. So Jeroboam's thinking ahead, and he's thinking when they do that, what happens if their hearts turn back to King Rehoboam and they want to be part of the kingdom again of the south, and what will happen then is they're going to turn me over to Rehoboam and kill me. So he's afraid of losing his life. So we see out of these two motivations here, fear of losing the kingdom, and therefore ultimately the fear of death, he decides to come up with a plan that results in the complete rebellion against the Lord, and an ultimate turning away from God by the northern kingdom that never turns back. Never turns back. A very disturbing turn here that we're going to see in the life of Jeroboam and how he leads the nation of Israel. We're going to see here, he sets up 
a replacement religion. False worship. He's going to come up with a plan to ensure that people don't ever go back to Jerusalem if he can help it. That they will stay in the northern kingdom, never go back, and therefore he can retain the control that he's desiring. So, look with me at verse 28. Verse 28, we see Jer the first thing Jeroboam does is he sets up new objects of worship. New objects of worship. Verse 28, so the king consulted and made two golden calves. Two golden calves. Any of you children remember a time in Israel's history before this that they worshipped golden calves? When they were coming out of Egypt, right? Who was, the, who was the priest who was the one that made them for them? I thought I heard it. Aaron, right? Aaron makes it when Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days, right? He's getting the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and while he's getting the Ten Commandments, uh, this, uh, the commandments from God, they worship the false gods, these golden calves, right? And so what's Jeroboam doing? Jeroboam is actually being pretty tricky because he's instituting false worship so that people will turn away from the Lord and not go to Jerusalem, but he's also using something that there's a history of in Israel. So it's not completely new. He's using a sly false worship tactic here to get them to turn away from the Lord. And there's a, a big term for this, syncretism. He is mixing things from their history as Israelites and the worship of the Lord with worshiping idols. So he's trying to be slick. He's trying to be tricky or sly. Who does that remind you of? Who else tries to be tricky to get us to do what's wrong? Satan does. That's right. Um, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, 14 to 15, that uh, Satan operates as an angel of light. What does that mean? He works deceptively. Contrary to our modern art, he doesn't go around with a pitchfork and a red suit everywhere announcing to everybody who he is, right? That's not what he does. He operates behind the scenes, trying to fool people. And one of his most effective tools is false religion. And that's what we have here. False religion. Two golden calves. And what, what does he cite as a motivation? Look at uh, what Jeroboam says here. He made two golden calves and he said to them, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. See, it's also a religion of convenience. I'm making worship easy for you. This is easier than going up to Jerusalem, right? So he's appealing to the sinful nature to be lazy, to take it easy, to not make things difficult, right? It's convenient. It's a worship that's convenient. And he also says... It's not only too much, but he says about these calves. See, there's some questions, some commentators bring up a question. They say, well, is he really instituting idol worship? Or is this just a replacement for the cherubim on the, on the uh, ark? Um, 
It's pretty clear. What does he say? Behold your gods, O Israel. He is instituting idol worship. Why? Because he likes to be king. And he doesn't want to stop being king. Right? I had a history teacher who used to say, it's a common history principle, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. He had power as king over ten tribes, and he doesn't want to give it up. So he is going to do whatever it takes to retain that power. So he's created false worship here. So they're worshiping these golden calves. And, and why two? <laughs> why two? See, God is one. We're told very clearly from Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord thy God is one God. They are monotheists. There's one God. Why does he create two? Well, I think the simple reason is he had two locations in mind. He sets up one in Bethel and he sets up one in Dan. So he needed one calf for each location. So he's not only changing to idol worship, he's, they're worshiping multiple idols here. All right? So he is setting up false worship. And he also says, notice... Behold your gods, O Israel. What does he say about these gods? The gods that brought you up from the land of Egypt. He gives these gods credit for bringing them on the exodus, out of Egypt. Just like Aaron had done in chapter 32 of Exodus. So, we have a false worship set of here. There's new objects of worship. But we also see there's new places of worship set up as well. Because that's what he's really going for, isn't it? Because he doesn't want them to go to Jerusalem to the nice, beautiful temple and their hearts turning back to the southern kingdom, to Jeroboam, and then therefore killing him. So look at verses, uh, verse 29. It says, he set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. So he's got two locations. Again, this is a... Strategic choice here. What's he, what's he doing? Uh, if you look, uh, uh, we have Bethel here is the choice. What major worship city is that really close to? Jerusalem, right? It's really close to Jerusalem. So he's putting one at the southern side to discourage people from going to Jerusalem. He wants them to go to this worship center in Bethel. And in fact, uh, what, what I read is that this uh, worship center, the city of Bethel, was on the main road that pilgrims would go down on their way to Jerusalem. So it's in the pathway to Jerusalem, so it would be easy to deter them to come into this worship center instead of going to Jerusalem. Now the other one is said to be up in Dan, which isn't actually on the map, but it's... Uh, way up in the northern part of the kingdom. Again, trying to get broad coverage, having a southern and a northern, just giving people hey, flexibility, right? It's a convenient religion. Just go where you want to go, um, whatever's closer. But uh, if we were to look at Judges 18, I know you've been through the book of Judges. If we were familiar with that, uh, what happens in Judges 18 is where there's a Levite priest named Micah, and he creates an idol, and he basically becomes a priest for 
Uh, he becomes a priest for an individual, and then the tribe of Dan doesn't have their own place yet. They haven't essentially taken over the land, so uh, they end up by force essentially taking this, this priest to be their priest, and they set up idol worship in Dan. So what Jeroboam is doing is he's up working with a place that already has established idol worship. So he's promoting this false religion uh, to keep people from going to Jerusalem, leading them astray. And notice the commentary on this in verse 30. This activity here of Jeroboam, what he's doing is he's leading Israel to sin. Verse 30, it says, Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. Jeroboam has led the northern tribes into sin by creating a system of false worship. If we were to look throughout the book of Kings, and we'll see this as we go through the book later on, I believe it's more than 20 times throughout these two books a reference is made to this act of Jeroboam and how he made Israel to sin. The other disturbing thing about Jeroboam is when you read through the book, um, we already talked about how David is the standard, right? We saw that even in chapter 11 as we're reading the quote to, to Jeroboam, God said, if you will obey me like David did. So David's the positive standard. Well, Jeroboam becomes the negative standard. He becomes the one that the kings after him are compared to. And he is setting the, obviously, very evil standard for selfish, sinful purposes. So we also see the promotion, verse 31, the promotion of high places. He promotes the high places. Look at verse 31, the beginning of that. It says, and he made houses on high places and made priests from among all the people who were not of the sons of Levi. So... He's, making, he's promoting the high places. You remember, if, if, we, if you remember back to when we talked about Solomon, he prayed for wisdom. One of the things we saw right before that was he was worshiping at the high place, right? And then immediately after, God says, I've answered your prayer about wisdom. I'm pleased with this prayer. I'm going to answer that prayer. We immediately see Solomon go and worship in the right place, no longer at the high place. And he created the temple, which is to be the place of worship. There is uh, multiple commands throughout the scriptures not to use the high places as a place of worship. But Jeroboam, it suits his purpose. As long as they're not going to Jerusalem, wherever they worship doesn't matter. What is priority to him is that he maintains his control as king of the northern tribe. So he's promoting the high places. It's also a place where they would do all kinds of detestable things. False worship and all the things that go along with that. But Jeroboam's promoting all this because he wants to be king. We also see he expands the priesthood. Uh, it says he promoted not only those from the sons of Levi, but, but others outside. The priesthood was supposed to be Levi only. See, in the land of Israel, all the tribes got an inheritance. All the tribes got an inheritance except for Levi. Levi was scattered throughout and there were cities set up for them where they would have priests and they'd minister to the people of Israel. So we have the priesthood belonging to 
Levi, and they were to carry forward that responsibility and talks about the Lord is their portion. They don't get the land like the rest of them. And instead of therefore having 12, we essentially had 11 sons dividing up the inheritance. But the double portion goes to the father's favorite, which was Joseph. So Joseph's two sons got split the double portion. So we have Ephraim and Manasseh getting, filling out the 12. But Levi doesn't have a portion. They are to be the priests. And the Lord is their portion, and they're supposed to carry this out. But what we see is Jeroboam's kicking them out too. Because again, he wants to deviate from what God has said. So he wants to do everything in his power to change up the worship of Israel so that it suits his purposes. But look with me in Second Chronicles. I think this is an interesting uh, note about what happens. It doesn't tell us much about the Levites in this section. But if you look with me at Second Chronicles chapter 11, we see how the, some of the Levites and many others in Israel, in the northern part of Israel, respond to the actions of Jeroboam that are happening at this time. In chapter 11 uh, of Second Chronicles, we see in verse 13 uh, to 16, it says, Moreover, the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel stood with him from all their districts, for the Levites left their pasture lands and their property and came to Judah and Jerusalem. Why? For Jeroboam and his sons had excluded them from serving as priests to the Lord. He set up priests of his own for the high places, for the satyrs and for the calves which he made. Those from all the tribes of Israel who set their hearts on seeking the Lord God of Israel followed them to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord the God of their fathers. So note here we have the Levites coming back to Jerusalem because they know the truth. They know that they are supposed to be the priests. And Jeroboam is not only including beyond Levi, he's actually excluding the Levites. So they leave, come to Jerusalem, uh, where they can uh, potentially serve and follow the truth. But notice also, there's a host of other people that want to follow the Lord as well and get out. Because they recognize the apostasy of Jeroboam and the northern kingdom. And so they want out and they flee to Jerusalem under the protection, essentially, of Rehoboam. So, we have Jeroboam promoting the high places here, expanding the priesthood, and yet a lot of the priests, the Levites, legitimate priests, and genuine believers in the Lord, leaving and going to Jerusalem. So what we're left with in the northern kingdom is pretty much an almost entirely apostate group of people. Those who have forsaken the Lord. Because one of the things that is disturbing, you just read this account, is like, who's protesting this? Who's, who's against this? Who, and I understand a king is a king. You can't just overthrow a king. But we do see a little bit of encouragement there from Second Chronicles, that there are a number of people who are faithful to the Lord, and they forsake the northern kingdom and their property, and they come down to Jerusalem. So we also see that Jeroboam not only does all this, he also alters uh, the... Calendar. Look with me at verses 32 and 33. Verses 32 and 33. It says, Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month of the 15th day of the month. What, what was it supposed to be? Instead of the eighth month, it's supposed to be the seventh month, right? 
So uh, he makes it the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like the feast which is in Judah. So he's again, he's not creating new things, he's just altering it. So it's similar, but it suits his purpose. So they have one on the eighth month, the fifteenth, like the feast in Judah, and he went up to the altar. Thus he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves which he had made, and stationed in Bethel the priests and the high places which he had made. Then he went up to the altar which he made in Bethel on the fifteenth day in the eighth month, even the month which he devised in his own heart. This is all man-made ideas. This is not obedience to the Lord. This is a perversion. He's creating his own way. And he instituted a feast for the sons of Israel and went up to the altar to burn Incense. So again, we mentioned there's three main feasts in Jerusalem, the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Tabernacles. And these were occasions where the Israelites were to assemble in Jerusalem. But Jeroboam doesn't want that because he's afraid it's going to undermine his authority as king. They'll turn back to Rehoboam and ultimately kill him. So out of fear and selfish preservation, he does all these things to pervert worship in Israel. So, very, very, very serious things that Rehoboam, or Jeroboam does here. Why is he doing it? He's doing it for his own selfish interest. He is trying to preserve himself. But we see here, as we think about the greater structure of the whole book and what the author's purpose is, what is the author of the book of Kings trying to tell us? The, the author is trying to expose why God has the southern kingdom in captivity and the northern kingdom was essentially wiped out. We see here the sin that Jeroboam sets Israel on. Essentially, they never return from this. They never return from this. You read, you read about all the kings... All the kings in the north and in the south, thinking about the two kings, the northern and the southern kings. And you'll read some bad kings in the south, but you also occasionally read about some good kings in the south. But you never read of a good king in the north. There's not one. And uh, we see Jeroboam repeatedly cited as the one that they are like, or they didn't depart. It, they may do something notable, but then it'll say, but they did not depart from the sin of Jeroboam. Jeroboam caused the northern kingdom to go into sin from which, uh, as, an, as a nation, they never came out of. Um, and we see here things that are somewhat hard to understand, but we understand God's sovereignty. He has a purpose for this, and... It's explained why, why, they're, why they're in captivity, why the northern kingdom isn't uh, anymore. They were taken over essentially by Assyria and taken in captivity and essentially divided up and uh, shipped all over the world um, because they committed sin by forsaking the Lord. They worshipped other gods. So in one sense, we, we look at this as believers and say how, how we make applications, and that can be a little challenging, but I'd say a couple things. Number one, if it were not for the grace of God in our own lives, we too would turn from the Lord. It is only by God's grace that we remain faithful to Him and continue to serve Him and walk with Him 
and do what's right. It is a work of His Spirit to make that true. We could be just like this if we didn't know the Lord. In fact, uh, we could be worse. Um, in fact, as, as hideous as Jeroboam is, it's amazing to read later on that kings that come after him, God will say about them, they're worse than all the kings that came before them. So we see the sinfulness of human nature, and we see also here the rejection of the word of God. I think that's an important point to think about as we talked about at the beginning. Jeroboam was told that God would give him that kingdom, and if he would obey, he would continue to have reign. And ultimately what we see is Jeroboam rejected the word of God. When we reject the word of God, it leads to fear and ultimately people then will just live out their sinful nature and do whatever pleases themselves. So, we see here an explanation for the downfall of Israel and sadly, the book is largely downhill from here, right? We saw the height of Israel with Solomon and his wisdom and all the glorious things that were going on in the, in the nation at that point. And Solomon ultimately started this, right? His choice of false worship, accommodating his wives, led to the sin, therefore, ultimately of Jeroboam, leading aside a, a whole nation, ten tribes of people. Very, very serious and sober warning. And we need to pray. That by God's grace, we will remain faithful. That we will continue to honor and obey him and not turn away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we've heard a couple different messages that are challenging because we see people doing wrong. And especially this morning, see such uh, harsh consequences that are coming for those people. Father, may all of this be a sobering warning to us and help us to take sin seriously in our own lives. Please help us to love you with all of our hearts and strive to obey you fully. And when we struggle and sin and uh, do what's wrong, that we would be quick to confess and forsake it. And we uh, look forward Lord, to the day when Christ returns and ultimately we know that you'll uh, reestablish Israel and uh, that Christ ultimately will be king in Israel. We look forward to that day and the role that you'd have us to have in serving you at that time. Father, help us to stay focused on the future, remain faithful to you, and not let sin reign and rule and drive our decisions on a daily basis. And we Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.